Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Beegler, and it is my joy and privilege to get to work with the youth here um, on Wednesday nights. And so, since I'm up here anyways, Matt asked me to kind of give a quick up, update announcement on what's going on with the youth group. Um, we, as far as COVID this year, it's all been kind of crazy, just for us and for everybody else. Currently, we're at a non-mask required spot, um, and you just wear those as, as fit by your own conscience. Um, but there's, there's a lot to rejoice about from the year 2020. Um, we, it's been really just a good year of getting to know each other, um, building relationships. We've had a lot of new students. Um, even just this last, this last Christmas party that we had, we had some new students, like we had students bring um, their friends, and we had two brand new people this last week, and it sounds like at least one of them is planning on coming back. Um, another area to rejoice in is um, Laura and Nancy. Laura Olson and Nancy Hirschberger have come back and have been kind of helping while they're back from college. And I don't know, I've just been really blessed to see their hearts in pursuing God and to continue that. And that's, that's the, the goal of youth group, is that we would, we would help kids um, grow up to love and pursue Jesus. And that's, that's our main goal. Um, we're just finishing a study in Luke, or no, we're just finishing a study in James and moving on to Luke. But the concept of, of James saying faith without work is dead kind of started this, this new idea about a weekly challenge. We don't want to just, um, just learn. We want to actually put these works into action. And so one, our first weekly challenge was to pray for five minutes every day, which might seem like a small thing, um, but actually committing that and, and doing it in the execution is kind of a hard thing to have it every single day. I missed a day um, for that specific five-minute length of time, so I had to make that up. But I was really blessed to see the students that did do it. There was a lot of them. And even the ones that didn't complete the whole thing said that they prayed more as a result of the challenge. Um, the other ones have been um, reading the Bible passage that we're going to be preaching on. Or this, this last one is um, based off of Mary's statement of let it be, is to seek to say yes to God's will in our life. Um, and whether that's by obeying our parents or reading the Bible and following what it says, like to seek opportunities to say, let it be, and, and to do God's will. Um, so that's, that's what we're looking at for 2019, and we're really looking forward to 2020 and seeing what God has to do. No, I'm behind a year. <laughs> 2020 was so crazy, I almost missed it. Um, that was it for 2020. And we're really looking forward to seeing what God has for 2021. Let's pray. God, you are good, um, and your glory surpasses any kind of problem that we've ever experienced with, um, with any virus or any other tribulation in this world. And Lord, I just pray that we would see your goodness and that it would eclipse all the problems that we think we have, um, that we would trust in you. God, I just pray for, for the people who are going through hard things, um, for the Cunningham family with, with the loss of a husband and father. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in their life as they grieve and that they would cling to you and you would be their solid rock. Lord, I pray for 
those in our assembly with um, sickness and um, cancer, Lord, Lord, that you would hold their hand and walk them through this, Lord, for all of us, that you would be a source of grace and peace and hope in these times of trouble, but that we would turn to you and seek your glory. God, I pray that we would be so ridiculously in love with you that, that it would be seen as embarrassing by other people, Lord, that, that our, our joy in your glory would just eclipse any pride that we have in ourselves. And Lord, as we seek to love you and pursue you in the year of 2021, I just pray that you'd bless those efforts. In your son's name we pray, amen. Um, once upon a time, there was a young man named Josh Christo or Joshua Christo. And Josh was a very talented musician. Um, he, he was a talented poet. He, he, just, he was very good at what he did. And he was putting together a band, okay, start up in his garage, and he asked a couple people if they would be willing to be part of his band. The first guy he asked was his neighbor, Joe. Now, Joe was also a talented musician who played the guitar, and Joe declined because Joe knew that Josh was a much better musician than himself, and he knew that if he was in this band, he wouldn't be able to be the lead guitarist and lead singer. He knew that he would have to submit that position to, to Josh, and, and he didn't want that, so he kind of went off and did his own band and pursued that. The second person was Max. Now, Max was not a good musician, um, but he had a good heart, and he was excited to... to do this band with his friend and to learn. And he was like, Josh, I'm just not a very good musician. And Josh said, that's okay. We'll just, we'll get together. We'll have fun. We'll, we'll have um, Tuesday night nacho night. And we'll just meet at my house for three hours or whatever, just play into the night. And we'll learn together to be good musicians. And so Matt was excited. Now, the third person really wasn't part of the band as a player. She, it was Susie, Max's younger sister. Now, Susie couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, and her sense of rhythm was that of that same bucket falling down an uneven set of stairs. So, but Susie had the biggest crush ever on Josh, and she was the world's greatest fangirl. She would come to those practices and just sit quietly and just bask in the glory of the music. Um, and she also, she never missed a performance. She was the first and only person at their first performance and proved that you could make a mosh pit with one person. Um, and people thought of her as ridiculous, okay? When she was old enough to drive, she got, you know, a vanity plate, JC fangirl, and people couldn't tell what kind of car she drove because of how many bumper stickers were on it. She looked ridiculous, but she didn't care because she was in love. Um, so later on, yeah, you know, as things develop, uh, Joe went on, kind of became a pretty good musician, um, and his kind of career climax as he made it into the second round of America's Got Talent, and then he kind of petered out and became lost. Um, Max, as he was spending more time with Josh, he became a very talented musician, but he got distracted. Um, he looked for other opportunities to kind of showcase his abilities, and he didn't spend as much time on those those nacho nights, he'd, he'd miss practices and occasionally he'd even miss performances because he was, he was off pursuing like 
this, this ability to show people what he, what he was capable of doing. Now, Susie, ever faithful Susie, still never missed a concert, was there every single time, and everybody thought she was ridiculous for how much she was committed to this musician. Okay, way down the road, okay, um, Josh ends up becoming the world's most recognized musician and, and is widely known and accepted as the greatest singer-songwriter of all time. And so the world is putting on this huge ceremony to recognize him and to just glorify him as an amazing musician. And there are three different people in that audience and three different reactions, okay? You've got your Joe, who's sitting at home in his sweatpants on his recliner and seeing this, this opportunity that he missed. He was asked to be the member of this to be a member of this band and could have experienced this amazing relationship with this amazing musician, and he missed it. Then you have Max, who's, who's at the performance, or who's at the ceremony. He's still friends with, with um, Josh, but he misses, like, he realizes that he missed a lot of opportunities. And so it's a bittersweet. There's, like, this glory, but there's also this sadness that, wow, I missed a lot of opportunities to spend time with this guy, um, and then there's Susie. There, every performance, all these people who, who thought she was crazy, like, they don't matter because she's there and she sees this. And then Josh calls her up on the stage and he says to everybody, this girl is the one that I wrote this, these love songs about. And I love her. And he proposed to her and married her on that stage that night. Now, it's kind of a corny example but honestly, like, this is what we have waiting for us. Like, wh where are we when it comes to our relationship with God? Are we pursuing our own glory, or are we humbly submitting to his glory? Because that will change what happens when he does come in his glory. Um, I'd like you all to open to James 4. Our passage will be James 4, 6 through 5, um, 9. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading that. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and pursue your, and purify your hearts. You double-minded Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, we're going to be talking about humility, but you can't really have a humility, uh, conversation without humility until you realize that like, humility is the absence of pride. And, and both of these have to do with the pursuit of glory. Um, I would say pride is the pursuit of one, one's own glory in spite of others' glory. And humility is submitting oneself to the glory of someone or something else. Now, my favorite definition of glory I got from Pastor Matt, and it is the display of one's excellencies. So when we seek to display our own excellencies, 
then we're being proud. But when we seek out God's excellencies and want other people to know and enjoy him, that's humility. Um, now, Jesus calls us to follow him, and he doesn't want us to be humble without setting that example. And so it says in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, in relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus will be glorified, and every knee will bow. The question is, what kind of situation are you going to find yourself in right before you bow the knee? So, I grew up in a pretty large family, and my dad sat at the head of the table every day. And I, I remember this one day, I was just going to be goofy at lunch, and I sat in his chair. And I was there kind of basking in the glory. Hey, I'm sitting in the position of my dad, who also thought it was funny and came and sat in his chair anyways. It was uncomfortable. Um, but that is like just a ridiculously tiny comparison of what happens when we put ourselves in the position to receive the glory. Because God will be receiving glory, and those of us who think that we should be receiving glory will not be comfortable in the end. So, in pursuit of, of God's glory and humbling ourselves, James gives three examples of things in these following passages of ways that we can submit ourselves to God's glory in our lives. And so, in this passage, we'll see that we must humbly submit ourselves and we must humbly submit our condemnation of others to God's glorious position as judge. We must humbly submit our schedules to his glorious position as all-knowing sovereign, and we must humbly submit our, um, our dependency on wealth to his glorious position of giver of every good gift. So starting with this, this concept of submitting our condemnation, in verse 11 it says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Therefore, er, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Um, this one's really convicting because... Whether or not I talk about it to other people, in my heart, a lot of times I'll see other people doing one thing or another, and I'm like, I cannot believe they are doing that. How awful. 
And I don't know if I just subconsciously do this in my own heart because that makes me feel better about myself, um, but this whole passage has been pretty humiliating to me. Like, I'm just super judgmental uh, often, and I need to catch that in my own heart because I think it's something where I'm, it's just self-elevating and it's prideful. But we see Christ's example of humility in, in the Old Testament. Like it says, we need to have this attitude as it was in Christ Jesus. Um, he, sub, he did not judge people. It says in John three sixteen through 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So it's this attitude. Christ was known as the friend of sinners. And, and to the point where people thought, like, wow, he must be a lowlife because he hangs out with these lowlifes. He was extending grace to these people because he loved them and he wanted what was best for them. And he pursued um, their salvation. He didn't pursue condemnation for them. And he wants that from us too. Now, this whole concept of like judging people and like there's this kind of stigma in our culture that Christians have rightly kind of pushed back a little bit about making discernments and judgments. And so I think there's something important to realize is we should be discerning truth and we should be discerning truth in regards to other people too. Um, if we see our brothers sinning, we should go to them and, and pursue their salvation in that. Um, if they're not in a right relationship with God, that is not good for them. But we also need to follow what Ephesians 4 says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So one of the things we get backwards is when we see somebody else sinning, um, we like go to our other neighbor and we're like, did you see Joe? He was sinning. And then we kind of feel better about ourselves, and they feel better about themselves because, wow, well, at least we don't do whatever X sin is, and we'll kind of push our, our sin under the rug here while we talk about Joe. But, like, the concept of actually going to the offending um, person, how many of us actually do that? Not many. And I would submit that that's actually an act of pride itself because we don't want to be seen as judgmental, by that person, but we're okay judging them behind their back. So it's, it's kind of awful when you, when you really look at it. And when you, when you pursue your, your heart in this whole thing, when you're talking about uh, your, your neighbor, your brother who's living in sin, the question should be, who am I building up? Am I building up my own self-esteem, or am I really seeking the salvation and the 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 pursuit of this person's fixed relationship with God, because really that's what it's all about. Christ came into this world, and, and he came and humbled himself so that we could be in a right relationship with God. And that's why we want to be humble, is because humility is a right relationship with God. If we're proud, then we're not in a right, right relationship with God. We don't understand his glory if we have any pride in us at all. And so we should be pursuing this relationship, not only with ourselves, but also with our brothers. And it should be done in grace, as 
following Christ's example. Moving on, we must humble ourselves by submitting our schedules to God's glorious position as all-knowing sovereign. Verse 13, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Now we look at Christ's example here. Um, this isn't like some kind of like little goal in his life. This is the night before he was betrayed to death and submitted his life to the Father in payment for our sins. He was like in passion at the garden, just praying. And it says that, that he was like sweating like drops of blood. He was so grieved at what was going on. And he did not want to go to the cross. But, it's, but he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And my question is, do we submit even the little things in our life? Like, do we submit not watching our program so that we could go and help somebody? Do we submit, like, our preferences to love our neighbor? Like, like this isn't, we have no idea the concept of, like, Jesus submitting himself to absorb God's wrath and his judgment. But then we struggle in these little things. And I would venture to say the little things are some of the most important things. I think there's kind of this pursuit of, oh, I just want to know God's will for my life and what he wants me to be doing five years from now. If God wants you to know that, he'll let you know. But we do know God's will in a lot of these little things. We know that it's God's will for us to pursue and have a relationship with him. We know that it's God's will for us to pray to him. And we know that it's God's will for us to read his word and get to know him, that we could experience this life that he sent his son that we could have. We know these things, but I think an interesting thing, like we've got this head knowledge, but kind of where the rubber hits the road is at our calendar. Like, do we actually schedule time to be praying? Do we schedule time to be pursuing God in a relationship with him by reading his word? What does your calendar say is important to you? I know for a long time, um, even this year, I was like, okay, I, I know I need to read the Bible, so I'll get to it, and I read it, or maybe one day I was like, oh, I didn't read the Bible yesterday, until I actually decided, okay, I'm going to wake up, and at this time, I'm going to read the Bible. And when I started doing that, and actually my schedule said reading the Bible was important, then it actually became important, and it actually became a thing. Um, and so that's only to the, to the extent where one submits to God in pursuit of his will for their life. So in application, the question is, do you esteem God's plans more highly than your own? Um, do you hold your plans with an open hand and ask, your calendar, or ask yourselves, what does your calendar say about God's revealed will in your schedule?
All right, we're moving on, moving on to the next chapter even. Um, we must humbly submit ourselves by our dependency on wealth. We must humble ourselves by submitting our dependency on wealth to God's glorious position as giver of every good gift. Um, chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver is corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. So it's easier for us to look around other people and say, oh, that person's rich. I'm, you know, middle class, lower class, whatever. Um, but if you are an American and you live in a home with heating and cooling and you drive any car, by most world's standards, you are ridiculously and unimaginably wealthy. Um, and our culture is so wealthy, we don't even realize how wealthy we are or how dependent on money we are. And that's actually a really scary and dangerous thing because God says in his word, you cannot love God and money. And most of us don't even realize how in love with money we are because it's so normal. So my question to you is, do you submit that to God? Do you trust in your bank account or do you trust in God? Um, it's so bad to God, like this pursuit of money and the things this world has to offer. Earlier in verse 4, it's, it calls people who are loving the things of this world adulteresses because we are not being faithful to our pursuit of loving God. And it is actually, I would argue, even worse than committing adultery against your spouse because this is committing adultery against a holy and just God. And so I think this is also really humbling. Like, what are we doing with our money? Um, the Christ example is, like, think about Christmas. Here is Christ sitting at the right hand of God the Father, enjoying the glory of his presence and just the tremendous riches that heaven has to offer. And he submits that to God at, his, at God's request and stoops as low as a man can get. Okay, so like he becomes a baby. I don't know if any of you, like he's a baby. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a baby. We have little Phoebe back there who can't keep her own pants dry. And to go from being like the ruler of all creation to like this little incontinent infant who can't talk, like that's humbling. And not only that, but he wasn't born into a castle or like a palace or anything. He was born into a house that he, or into a stable that his parents didn't own. 
to a mother who was considered to be like unfaithful, and he was considered to be the product of an illegitimate relationship. Like that's humble. But even even further in his life, like Jesus in his ministry, he's like a hobo. Okay, it's he says. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Like, this is Jesus, the Lord of all creation, and he's not holding on to the things. And part of me wonders, well, maybe after experiencing heaven, he realizes that, like, the greatest palace in the world compared to, like, the smallest shack, it's just like a slightly larger cardboard box, okay? But we don't see that but we know it. Like in our heads, we understand that we're looking for something bigger and more glorious than what we have. But, but here in this world, this is what we know and we forget that there's something so much better for us and we kind of hoard onto this and we hold on to our money and we're like, ooh, if I could buy, save up and I'll buy this vehicle. Or maybe, ooh, I could buy a house that's 10% bigger than the one that I have. And these are the things that we're living for. But Jesus says, this isn't what it's all about. We should be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll make sure that our needs are met. And when the day of glory comes, we will not think to ourselves, oh, I wish people saw me driving around in a better sports car. We won't think to ourselves, oh, I wish I had a bigger house. We won't think to ourselves, man, I'm sorry that I gave that money to the poor and didn't have, to have it to spend on myself. But every sacrifice that we make for his glory will be worth it. My prayer for us is that we would be so in love with Jesus that we would be seeking to give what we have to him. That we would be so in love with him that we would not see the riches that we have as something that's given for us for our own benefit, but something that we can give back to him. Jesus said that inasmuch as we give to the, to the least of these, we are doing that to him, and we owe him so much. When Jesus comes back, every knee will bow. We will be humbled. But whether or not that's humiliating or glorious is dependent on our, on our relationship with Christ when he returns in glory. So let's press on with this new year. Um, whether or not it's happy, I, I don't know. Um, we've seen that in 2020. Like, I would venture to say maybe it wasn't the happy new year we were hoping for in 2019. But it was a great opportunity to pursue God's glory in love and grace and to remember that this world is not our home. So my prayer for us is that, that, we, would re, in, that we would pursue God's glory in a manner that's seen as ridiculous by the world because of the love that we have for him. I pray that we would have a humble new year. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for loving us so much that you humbled yourself to the point where you became an infant, a baby, and then even died for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would despise the things of this world that make us feel glorious. Lord, that we would surrender our pride to you and pursue your glory and your riches and your kingdom. Lord, I pray that 2021, whether or not um, it's comfortable or happy, Lord, that we would see your goodness and seek 
your glory above all else. And Lord, I pray that we would be seen as ridiculous by those around us because of the love that we have for you and your people. In your son's name we pray, amen.